Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic and Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is new Fandom Legends Magic the Gathering Arena caster, Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how has the casting been going? I mean, honestly, it's been a dream come true. I know you know, and I think a lot of our listeners know that I've been wanting to do coverage for magic tournaments for a long time. And it was really awesome for fandom, which is a a Twitch channel that puts on a weekly $4,000 tournament on magic arena every week and broadcasts it. Fandom was very kind enough to give me a shot a couple weeks ago and very kind to ask me back last week. So, you know, it's sort of just as a week by week basis for now. So who knows what the future holds, but I have had a blast the past two weeks getting to do that. Yeah, I caught the last 30 minutes or so of your last one this past week and you were in Semulan were crushing it. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's very fun. And he and I, I think, have just uh, great chemistry, good rapport. So it's been very easy to go back and forth. And I think he and I like fit into those two roles of like play by play and, and color very nicely. Yeah. And speaking of crushing things, I think you and I and the Lords of Limited Discord broke War of the Spark wide open. Ben, 10 out of 10 for transition to War of the Spark draft <laughs> just there, first of all. And second of all, you're absolutely right. It was unreal watching people just trophy after trophy in the discord this week with war of the spark going live on magic online and arena yeah we want to shout out some people from the discord i think you and i have been crushing it we're actually right next to each other side by side on the leaderboard stunlock ftw quarter calls draftomatic ryan Sachs, martini i'm sure there are some other names like with people that aren't as vocal or haven't haven't posted quite as many of their trophy shots but i think we figured this format out and i think we are crushing it as a team yeah, so I think let's we've got a lot to get into. It's the first week of drafting the format. Ben and I have a ton of information we want to dump. We're going to like re-rank the top commons. I think we've got a pretty good handle on those. We'll talk about some more over and under performers. We got to check in on the trophy leaderboard, Ben. It's the most exciting time. Yeah, I have 14 drafts deep, 35 and 7 record, 8 trophies in 14 drafts, and an 83% win rate unreal it was like 90 percent earlier in the week is that right yeah my first nine drafts or something like that (laughs) i was 24 and three i think that is absurd so i'm 24 drafts deep i have a 52 and 20 win loss record with eight trophies for a 72 percent win rate and on a heater trophied your last five drafts in a row yeah, I'm, uh, I was a late bloomer in this format. I started off 03 with a deck. I decided to be honest 
and put put the three. I had it as an O2 for a while, but then I, <laughs> oh, no. I as my win rate got up, I was like, all right, I can put that third loss in there because I wanted to like play out all the rounds with my first deck because I wanted to see like what the deal was and it was you know a terrible deck, so that's what happened. But yeah, so I'm, I'm back. I'm honest in my in my record, and I'm very happy to be right next to you at the top of the leaderboard, Ben. You know, and people were asking me why I was doing so well in the format. And I think the honest answer is, I think you took some hits like at the start of the format and told me like, hey, this isn't good. Don't draft it. And I think <laughs> I really reaped the reward from from that information. Yeah, I think also like, I, you know, I, I look back at like some of my decks. and I was like, these are good. I think, you know, I two won a ton. And I think I was just maybe up against some some bad side of variants. And I think certainly with five trophies in a row, I'm now on that other side. So I'm definitely aware of that. But I think you and I are very much on the same page, certainly from watching your stream and from writing these show notes and from our discussions of card evaluations. I think we're, we're pretty much on the same page with a lot of stuff. Yeah, really looking forward to talking about it with you. Like I said, a whole mess of information, but I would be remiss if I did not shout out the Lords of Limited Patreon. That is where you get access to that sweet, sweet Discord, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. Of course, the show will always be free, but we do have some perks for you. We are, as I said last week, we're ever approaching uh, getting some merchandise in the hands of folks where we're already sort of in the pipelines for working on getting some, some shirts and other such apparel available for people. And then we'll we'll look at trying to get some sleeves, et cetera, magic stuff down the line. So we're, we're close to that. So go ahead and, and check out patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can see what sort of perks await you. But the Discord is the place to be. As we said, there are so many people breaking it. There are so many people who are getting in on that Discord this week, and we want to shout them out. We got a whole mess of people joining us again. We want to welcome Benjamin, Demetrius, Gage, Andrew V., Kristen, David, Jeremy, Jorg, Joe, Michael, Carson, Dag, Anders, Andrew, Chandler, and Liam. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I, I cannot say thank you enough to the Discord Oh yeah, for how much conversation has been going on about this format in the War Card Evaluation channel, in the trophy discussion, like what's working about these decks, what's not, in the strategy discussions. Everybody has been fan-frickin-tastic, and I love you all. And I think one of the best things about it, and I will stop gushing about the Discord after this, I promise, until next week, is that it feels like everyone's coming at it with no ego. I don't get the sense of anyone being like, well, I figured it out and this is what's right. It's just everyone being like, I'm sharing my experience. Here's here's what I've been winning with. And I'm excited and eager to learn what you're having success with or what you're not having success with. You know, I don't get the sense that anyone's coming in from a position of like, I've got it. Come listen to me. Except you and I. That's well, what we're going to do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. General format thoughts, Ben. Prince or Popper? Yeah, I think we have to say that this format is a Prince format. I mean, there are bomb rears running around, but also princely in that the commons and uncommons are insanely powerful as well as insanely synergistic. So, I mean, yes, it's a Prince format, but I think it's certainly possible to win without bomb rears in your deck. And I certainly think it's possible to build your deck in ways to combat the bomb rears that are running around. Right. So a few things here. I think one, I think that everyone sort of has access to this, the same amount of bombs in theory, right, in, in a draft or whatever. Yes, there's going to be like swings with that. But I think this is actually closer to the same number of rares. Maybe the power level is higher, but the same number of rares per draft that we're sort of used to. So Ben and I just sort of did a quick glance at our own trophy decks about the average number of rares that we've had. And comparing it to, you know, late in Ravnica Allegiance, we checked in on our Discord after uh, people had amassed over 200 trophies, and the average number of rares per deck was 2.4. Uh, now, Ben and I are sort of on either side of that spectrum. I looked at my eight trophy decks, and I had an average of 3.375, which is markedly higher than that. But Ben, what did you have? 
I only had 1.25 per trophy deck, and that was including some rares like Fibblethip and Tomic that are just like not really rares. And also, like I've had three three trophy decks without any rares at all, and two other trophy decks with a Fibblethip and with a Tomic, and then three others that were pretty rare laden. Yeah, so I mean, if you average Ben and my trophy averages together, then we are sort of sitting around where Ravnica Allegiance was. So I think it may, maybe that the highs are higher, like maybe you're looking at like either no rares or five rares, but I also had a no rare deck that trophied. So I think it's definitely possible. I also think there's something to be said about how satisfying it is to beat someone with a Liliana or with a Nicol Bolas or one of the God Eternals, you know? I think like the gameplay that these cards create, I think can lead to satisfying wins it can also lead to some demoralizing losses but i think it can lead to some really satisfying wins yeah the satisfying wins have inspired my favorite board presence people clap (laughs) when i'm streaming (laughs) i mean it's so true that's how you're able to you know mitigate the power level of some of the cards your opponent can deploy yeah so speaking of mitigating we in our next section is dealing with bombs so i think you really need to if you don't have your own bombs in this format have a plan for dealing with your opponent's bombs and i think one of the best ways to do that if you're black is toll of the invasion this card does insanely serious work as far as mitigating opposing bombs i would play the first two copies very happily in any black deck maybe more than that depending on the composition of the deck so toll of the invasion is two and a black for a sorcery that lets you thought seize your opponent and make a one one amass token and that one one amass token just really pushes this card over the top in the format yeah absolutely i mean i think black also has access to spark harvest that's the like single black sack a creature or you can pay three black black to destroy a creature or planeswalker i just think having like these catch-all answers to planeswalkers something like prison realm out of white or no escape from blue to just counter it and exile it dead i think that those catch-all answers are very important but they all they exist at common for the most part you know prison realm is an uncommon in white but they exist at common for the most part i think yes the rares are pushed the mythics are pushed. The uncommons feel pushed, but then also the commons are pushed. I mean, even Eternal and Blue has just felt like an absurd creature every time I've played it or seen it on the battlefield. When you talk about board presence people, I think we have this conversation a lot in sets where we're like, you want to play two drops, but there aren't a lot of good two drops. Has that been your experience as well? Oh, yeah. That has been my experience super hard. The, getting down on the battlefield on turn two, either on the player or on the draw, Like if you get on the board first, with a good two drop you just feel so much better about life because if your opponent goes to play that that prevents your opponent from playing cards like davriel vivian narset any of the really powerful planeswalkers that are three drops or four drops it makes those cards significantly worse if you're already on the battlefield yeah in particular those three mana walkers at uncommon i think like you know when you're when your first play is going to be a davriel you're just like please no two drop please no two drop please no two drop because if you get that down unchecked it's going to really warp the game i think yeah and then i think the the last thing to keep in mind when dealing with opposing bombs is that you just really need to be able to interact with what your opponent's doing in this format to be successful whether that's cards like callous dismissal or cards like jaya's greeting whatever you've got to be able to interact with your opponent's board state in order to pressure pressure them like either their life total or their planeswalkers when they bring them down yeah could not agree more where are you at on number of lands you have a a sense about like what kind of a, a land format this is I've been generally in the 16 to 17 camp, sometimes 18. When I have to run 18, usually it's been to a wonky draft and I'm ending up playing like a three to five color deck and I really want to make sure I have enough sources to cast my really powerful cards. But streamlined two color decks, I've been anywhere from 16 to 17 most of the time. 
Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like this is a 17 land format for me. I agree, like 18 lands if it's wonky or if I'm like playing a Karn's Bastion or like a Blast Zone, like one of those colorless lands, because I don't feel like, you know, I feel like often my my colored sources are are stretched a little bit. You know, you've got a lot of sometimes triple colored cards in your in your deck. So you're like trying to get red, red and blue, blue, blue or something. And then I'm 16 sometimes when I feel like I'm in that green base deck and i've just got so many extra sources of mana that i don't want to flood out so you know if i've got a number of new horizons or paradise druids that sort of thing and what has your general sort of draft strategy been when you've been sitting down pack one pick one so this was sort of tough for me because i felt like i did have like a rocky start until i realized that what was happening to me was something that i wanted to turn into a benefit you know I, i think this came from talking with you where i kept being like I was seeing these decks from you and from Stunlock and other folks in Discord that were these like just like crisp, streamlined two color decks. And they were also often blue. And I had never had blue open for me for like my first 10 drafts or something. And I was like, how are people getting this? I keep drafting these like three, four, and five color like messes because nothing is open. And you were like, if I could draft black, green, five color every draft, I would love that. And I was like, oh, wait, maybe this is one of the good decks in the format maybe the tools are there and so i started to sort of embrace that and so my goal is to not end up there like i'd like to be in one of what i consider to be the best two color decks at the start of a draft but if a lane doesn't present itself to me in like the first half of pack one i really just sort of start to snatch up a bunch of fixing and hope to be some sort of base green multicolor deck to take advantage of the power level of the cards that'll get passed to me by the people who can't cast them. Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with that. That's sort of my safety valve outlet is getting into green multicolored decks. I think, you know, my general thought is that I just really want to stay open super hard. I'm even willing to move off of bombs, pack one, pick one, because the format is so powerful, even common and uncommon wise, that if you end up in the right two color pair or two color pair with a splash, you're going to get heavily, heavily rewarded with powerful cards, assuming the packs aren't just crazy weird. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we did, we had a draft. I skyped into your stream yesterday that was pretty weird in terms of like trying to find your lane. And you didn't end up with like a super powerful deck, but you ended up with a pretty synergistic deck that I still think was quite strong. But that felt like a, a weird draft. I felt I feel like oftentimes when I find my lane, pack three is a really nice reward for that. Yeah, and I would say along those lines, I think all 10 color pairs are really possible to draft, Eh. which is super different. I think they are. All right. (laughs) It's really different from guilds and Ravnica. You know, we're coming off of two guild sets where there were really only five, maybe six decks. I think you really need to make an effort to stay flexible longer than you did in those formats. You don't really get rewarded for committing to a color pair in the beginning of pack one or in the middle of pack one here. I think the longer you can wait it out, if you end up in the right spot, the more you're going to get rewarded in pack two and pack three. So yes, all 10 color pairs are possible draft, but there's a couple that are hanging out around the bottom. What are those? Uh, I think red, white and black, white in particular are the worst of the bunch. I feel fairly confident with that, at least at the end of this week. I think there are successful versions of those decks, but it's just really hard. White is very shallow and sort of you know, one of its best commons, the Pegasus, I think, leads you down an aggro route, which I think you don't want to do. Like a lot of White's cards lead you towards aggro decks, and I just don't think those are pretty well positioned. I do think that if there are aggro decks in the set, it's like blue-green or white-green proliferate, and you're like going tall and, you know, just synergizing that way. I think that's a good aggro deck. I think red-black could be a good aggro deck, but for the most part, I'm looking at other ends of the spectrum with like blue-red, blue-black, green-black, five-color, these like value synergy control decks. 
Yeah, I would include red, green, crunching people as in the aggro deck camp as well. Yeah, I would agree, too. And I think that that may be even the best of the bunch, but I definitely feel like that's second tier below those other decks that I mentioned. But yeah, they're, they're all possible color pairs. I, I think you and I are sort of in, in a similar camp of generally avoiding white when possible. Yeah, we're going to get into that a little bit. Next thing, fixing and ramp is just outstanding in this format. Holy cow. Yeah, it's really, really strong. So, you know, we've got good colorless fixing with Gateway Plaza, Mana Geode, and as Ben has tried to coin it, the Get Out of Jail free card, <laughs> Guild Globe. Um, I think those are the three good colorless fixing. I'm actually not a huge fan of, I believe it's Firemind Vessel. Is that right? That's the four mana artifact. Yeah. Comes into play tapped, and you can tap to add two mana of different colors to your mana pool. I actually think that card is the only one of all the fixing that I am not happy to play because it's just so tempo negative. I just want to have have my mana set up, you know, because there aren't a lot of good two drops. You can sort of afford to like do nothing sometimes in these ramp fixing decks on turn two or turn three to set up your mana. But once you're at turn four, you've got to be doing something you got to play a creature or planeswalker or a card draw spell or you got to do something other than play a tapped artifact right well and mana geode mana geode is just strictly better than well not strictly better but it plays out so much better in the format because a lot of times you can get geode down you know sometimes on turn five and play another three drop also with it like it's just so and and all you really need for the fixing is the one mana of any color you don't really need the two mana of different colors Right. And the scry one tacked onto Geode is a real addition. It's a real boon. I mean, that's giving you half a card, a quarter of a card, or however you want to think of it. And then you move into green and you've got a whole swath of fixing it at your fingertips in New Horizons, Paradise Druid, Centaur Nurturer, and if you're in green black, Leyline Prowler. So you really have a lot of ways to generate splashes or double splashes sometimes in the case of New Horizons. So there's just a lot of ways to do multicolor things when you're base green. Yeah, and I think that's a big skill in this format is knowing how to build those three, four, five color decks with responsible mana bases. Yes. And balancing all the pieces. Like there's a lot of pieces that go into those decks and we're probably going to review that at some point in this format just because I think it's such a big part of this format as like when you don't have a lane, that's what you're supposed to do. So knowing how to balance this mix of, okay, I need a few bombs or a few ways to win the game. I really need removal. I really need fixing. And then you also just really need card draw you need early defense like getting the right numbers of all those pieces and balancing it out is a big a big skill in building those four and five color decks yeah so i will say before we get to that because that's a subject that i feel really passionately about and i want to make sure that we outline it because i think this set really supports that kind of archetype but for folks who want to get a little taste of that i would go back we had an episode of that in uh, ixalan block and an hour of devastation where we talked about how to build five color dirtle decks and I think a lot of those same principles are going to apply here. It's all about that same, like figuring out that recipe of bombs, removal, card draw, fixing, early defense, all that stuff. So I would highly recommend folks who feel like they're not having success with those kinds of decks or want to get into drafting those kinds of decks. Those are good resources for you before we talk about it in War of the Spark specifically. Yeah. And I think one of the most important card draw pieces in those decks is Tamiyo's Epiphany. That's three and a blue for the sorcery that lets you scry four and then draw two. It just really prevents you from flooding out, which is sometimes a problem in these ramp decks and helps you find those bombs you put in your deck. Yes, 100%. Where are you at in terms of the speed of the format? Are we in Zendikar? Are we in Rise of the Eldrazi? How, how fast is this set? 
I think we're somewhere in the middle, leaning a little bit more towards Rise of the Eldrazi, but it but it's awkward, right? Because you have to get on the board early, but you really don't want your plan to be aggressive. Like you just want to have this meaningful early board presence, but yet your overall plan for your deck still be going towards the late game. So I think it really favors controlling decks and or decks with a really good synergistic plan, like blue-red spells or things like that. Aggro is fine, but like we said, there aren't a ton of good two drops. So if you're playing against aggro, it's really possible to trounce them if you have a removal spell, you know, either on their two drop, their three drop, their four drop, you know, especially their good three drop, you know, that they're really planning on getting in a lot of damage with. You can just make their life miserable and you can disrupt a lot of the proliferate synergy that they're trying to get going on, you know, especially in green, white or green, blue or something. If you've got timely early removal spells. Yeah, there's also just, I mean, there's not a ton of incidental life gain, but there is incidental life gain that you're going to be main decking and centaur nurture grabbing you three life. I, I've often been fine with a, a bulwark giant in the main deck if I am drafting what I think is the best white deck, which is white blue control mostly. That's the the three six that gains five. But those existing at common, even coming out of the sideboard, can really punish the aggro decks. Because I, like I said, I don't even think that the best aggro decks are these sort of like two drop three drop combat trick decks i think they're more about synergies you know they're more about like crunch wrangler into raging crunch into bloom hulk to like make your two drop a five four that sort of thing right yeah and a mass just existing as a mechanic can also clog up the ground provide a few extra chump blocks which might be just enough to slow the aggro decks down and i just think the removal is so efficient jaya's greeting is insane obnixilis's cruelty is insane cards like that at common just really make it tough for aggro in addition to incidental life gain you know when i'm playing against aggro there's been times i've cited in three bulwark giants against aggro what are they supposed to do against that except killing me before it comes down and it's so hard to do that in this format yeah so when we talk about a lack of good two drops like what are we referring to you just don't want to be putting these vanilla two twos or two ones into your deck that's not the thing we're talking about when we're saying you want to be able to affect the board early Right. You really need meaningful early board presence, which is not a 2-2 vanilla. We're not advocating putting those in your deck at all. But the good two drops are outstanding. Like Burning Profit, crazy good two drop. That card's relevant well into the late game. Erratic Visionary, eh. You know, if you need a two, it'll do. That card has underperformed a little bit, I think. Pollen Bright Druid is a premium two drop, comes down as a 2-2 and has synergy. Oftentimes, you know, it's kind of like Tarmogoyf or whatever, like ends up a 3-3, 4-4, Pollen Bright Druid has really impressed. Where are you at on the Strix, the 1-2 flyer in blue? I think it's fine. I'm not looking to pick it up. I'd play it if I have like 10 non-creature spells. Really does a good job of pressuring Planeswalkers in the air, but doesn't play defense super well. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's fine, but that's a thing that that's one of the two drops that I'm like, well, I'll play that. That's fine. That's better than just the random vanilla two twos. Right. And Crunch Wrangler can be a really good two drop if you've got your deck built right, or it can be really terrible if you don't mm -hmm. get enough four power things. I think Lazatep Reaver is also on the short list of really good two drops. Ooh, yeah. And then there are a bunch of uncommon as well, like Eternal Taskmaster, the one in a black two three that can, you know, raise dead when it attacks for two in a black. That one is premium Tybalt Rager in red. Like those are the kind of two drops that you want to put a premium on and put in your deck. Mm -hmm. And then you're hoping not to play the vanilla ones like Dust Mantle Operative. That's the one in a black 2-2 that can't be blocked by Creatures Power 4 or greater or Goblin Assailant, the one in a red vanilla 2-2. And the other thing, you know, we've been saying aggro is not really where you want to be. This lack of premium two drops also hurts aggressive decks. You know, that's what we're, one of the things we're always looking at before a format starts is for the speed of the format, you know, when we're looking at spoilers, are there a ton of good two drops? And I think we said no this time around. And I think that bore itself out to be true that there just really isn't 
a solid curve out aggressive strategy because there aren't good twos. And this is one of the reasons that I think white is so weak is that when you look at its creature suite, it's got these like two one that gets first strike on your turn, the pouncing links or the the two two that when it dies, you can proliferate or even war screecher, the one three flyer that can like pump your team for six mana. All of those cards are just kind of meh and get outclassed really quickly. I, I would say maybe the worst creature has a place sometimes, but it's just hard to build a white deck where you're not like, well, I just have to play all these clunkers a lot of the time. And I think just in general, like Court of Calls made a tweet last night. Uh, he was one of the people in our Discord that's just awesome. He's one of our lieges that's commenting on everybody's draft picks and, you know, discussing cards. He was tweeting about the format. And I think he nailed some things that I just really kind of want to lay out. And what he was essentially saying was that there's just a different formula for winning decks in this format. And I think you just need to understand what makes a good deck in order to be successful in the format. And if you follow, you know, the typical heuristics for limited you're not going to have success in this format because it's a new puzzle to figure out. When Rise of the Eldrazi came out, everybody was really struggling because that format turned, you know, normal limited heuristics on their head. And I think this format does a little bit as well. So you have like a way to sort of say what you think like normal limited heuristics are. I mean, I think that's probably like, I mean, to, to coin the limited resources phrase, it's like cabs theory, right? Cards that affect the board state. I think that's the general rule for limited that you want to do that like two drop three drop four drop or two drop three drop combat trick and i don't think that this set supports that kind of idea it does to a certain extent in that you do want to get on the board early but it has to be good cards that you're getting on the board early with you can't put vanilla or low impact cards in your deck because you're just going to get outclassed in the late game so having a, a meaningful early board presence backed up with synergy and a plan to get into the late game. And you just have to always be trying to maneuver. And a lot of it is strategy too. You have to always be maneuvering the game state for how can I not get crushed when my opponent plays a planeswalker? Or how when my opponent plays a planeswalker, can I remove their creature and then kill their uncommon planeswalker? Just to try to make sure you're always in a board state where you can interact meaningfully with the really good cards in the set that your opponent could play at any given time. There's also this idea of synergy, I think, that exists in this set that is much different than what we saw as quote-unquote synergy from the last two sets, where you weren't really building a red-black spectacle deck, you know? Like, you weren't building a, a blue-white uh, addendum deck, you know? Like, maybe you were building around High Alert or Dovin's Acuity, but you weren't really drafting synergy in the way that when you're drafting a blue-red Spells Matter deck, you have to get pieces together. You know, it's not like you just look for things that have keyword blah. You're like, oh, okay, I need non-creature spells here. I need things that care about non-creature spells here. How are these things working together? How am I curving out? What is this deck's game plan? Because a lot of those decks can look different. You can have a blue-red spell matter aggro deck you can also have one that's a control deck that has like four of the spell keeper weirds that get back cards from your graveyard and then you have like two tamios epiphanies or or you don't have any of those and you're tempoing people out like there's a lot of moving pieces here when you look at the blue black amass deck you know you might have seven creatures in those decks and then you can look at some like you know a white green proliferate deck that's gonna have like 18 creatures there's just such a wide range of things and then even when you're drafting those proliferate decks are you getting the proliferate cards, and then you're looking for the cards that put counters on creatures. Balancing those out is important. It's a lot more nuanced and difficult, and I think sort of like hands off than maybe previous build around or synergies that we've seen where you're just like, well, I'm just looking for as many numbers of this keyword as I can find. I think even in the deck building, there's a lot of interesting considerations too. Like oftentimes I've found 
myself thinking during the draft, I have too many creatures for this deck to be good, Yeah, <laughs> which is which is sort of a weird thought. But even some of my most aggressive decks have run 12, 13 creatures and really are only playing the really premium creatures because the spells are so good and the planeswalkers are so good. And I think you can still get there with unusual creature counts. I had a red, white aggro deck that was 12 creatures and it was 12 really good creatures and i wouldn't have built it that way without a lot of input from twitch chat so i just think there's new things to learn about this format and it turns a lot of you know you cannot play a 15 creature five removal spell card draw spell deck in this format and expect to get there yeah so just to finish you know sort of court of calls tweet you know he was saying the main complaints about the format are the bombs and the rare planeswalkers and that those can be combated with optimal deck building so you're really trying to get early board presence combined with ways to go over the top of bombs and the best way to go over the top of bombs is to out card your opponent you know it doesn't matter if you spend two three cards dealing with their bomb as long as you're drawing way more cards than them so card advantage having a way to do that in the late game and that the rare planeswalkers are really only that oppressive if you don't have an early board presence so just trying to look out for those two things, meaningful board presence and raw card advantage and synergy in the late game to let you go over the top of that stuff. I want to add one more thing to this really well thought out tweet from Cord, which is that I think this format really rewards playing multiple turns ahead and really punishes you if that is not a skill you have developed yet in limited play. Because planeswalkers demand that you, as if you're playing them yourself, realize how you're going to try and maximize it or protect it over the next few turns. And once your opponent deploys one, then you have to plan the next few turns of like, what is my plan for dealing with this? Am I trying to kill the Planeswalker or am I going to ignore it and go face? Am I going to kill it with this removal spell or kill a creature and then try and attack it with my creatures through their remaining board? Like all of that stuff is really, I think, paramount to succeeding in this format. Yeah, and oftentimes that means setting it up to where if your opponent has a removal spell or has interaction, it's still beneficial for you. You have to like maybe wait even longer in some cases. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the best decks in the format. What are you thinking there? So here's my initial top three. I think blue red has my uh, early vote for best deck in the format and then blue black followed closely behind. And then I think green black five color as the sort of like default well if you haven't had a good lane presented to you this is what you should be doing i also think green red is a fine shell for that i think red black control slash sacrifice is a good deck we've seen a lot of trophies there i had the uh, benefit of playing that yesterday and i trophied with it i've actually played with all 10 color pairs ben so we're not going to get any of this m19 nonsense where i don't play <laughs> red white until draft number 100 or whatever i think the only one i haven't played with is white black no white black and black red no, I have a black-red deck now, though. I just haven't played any games with it. So white-black's the only one I haven't drafted yet. May you never draft black-white for as long as the <laughs> format is alive. So I think those four decks are, are my top front runners: The, like, Grixis decks and then green-black five-color. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I think Grixis colors just have really impressed me in general, period. And I think that also mirrors the day one results at the PT, which feels pretty good that we, like, independently came to that same conclusion. Mm -hmm. That, you know, blue-red, blue-black red black are all really strong i think white really underperforms it has some good cards but they don't play well in tandem with the other colors and i think that white usually leads you down an aggressive route 
which is not really where you want to be as we've been talking about in the format. So I've been trying to steer clear of white early if I can. And if I get forced into it, just trying to make the best of it, I can. Yeah, I think white's best home is in a blue white control shell, which I think has a, a number of different flavors. And I think one of its best and coolest flavors is in like a five plus planeswalker deck because it has access to so many of those cheap planeswalkers at uncommon that are like three mana. You know, you can play Narset, you can play Kasmina, you can play Ashiok Apologies, you can play Dovin. Like there's just a lot of cards that play well together in that shell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that white blue deck, you and I have sort of trophy. I've trophied with it twice. You've trophied with it once, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really all commons and uncommons. Sometimes yours planeswalker based. I've done it without planeswalkers and you just try to set up for the late game. And the key card in there is just like making sure you don't die. You clog. It's exactly what they laid out. It really is blue white stall. You clog the ground up. You have flyers. Ashiok Skulker is an insanely good win condition in that deck at common. And then you just have Tamio's epiphanies to outcard your opponent like 100%. So to sort of summarize all this, like our ideas about the format in general, our ideas about our color pair preferences, what are your preferences going into draft right now? Yeah, I think my number one consideration is that if I can, I really want to be blue because I'm happy playing any of the blue color pairs. And you really want to be flexible in the draft. So the fact that blue lets you go into any of the color pairs that pair with blue is a huge plus in its favor. And I think it's one of the better colors, probably not the strongest color common wise, but just the flexibility that it forwards is worth so much. And then the other main thing I'm really trying to do is avoid white if possible, and certainly white aggressive decks. So I think there's a couple reasons for this. There's way too much incidental life gain running around, like in Bulwark Giant and Centaur Nurture. And the good removal just in every color pair for the aggro decks to really be consistently winning in a format where, as we've talked about, there's a lack of premium two drops. And then, of course, if we're not seeing a clear lane, as we said before, just like diving in on taking colorless fixing, green fixing, being base green and give yourself outs to play the best cards that you can that are going to get passed to you. Yeah, I think that and that's really important as well that, you know, you're bobbing and weaving and then nothing's really seeming open. Get into the multicolored deck and do, for the love of God, please take Mana Geode and Gateway Plaza over just C's, C minuses. And you might not think I'm going to splash. You never know what busted card you're going to get past that you want to splash. And for the love of God, build the deck as a base two colored deck. I don't want to see any like <laughs> seven forests, five swamps, three plains mana bases. It's going to make me really angry. <laughs> I've done that a couple times. Stop it. I mean, some, look, sometimes, look, sometimes you get the good cards and you just got to jam a bad mana base. <laughs> oh, God. All right. That moves us on to overperformers and underperformers. Uh, some common overperformers. First up is Battlefield Promotion. That's the one in a white combat trick that puts a plus one, plus one on counter on a creature and gives it first strike and you gain two life. I think that's really key in the red white aggro deck. Outside of that, you know, probably hoping to not run it, but it has been impressive when I played red white and has been impressive for my opponents. I will also add that I think it's a key card in the white green proliferate deck. And I think it might even be better than the one green white uncommon like anthem put a plus plus one counter on everything just because you can get so like clogged at three and you want that cheap early way to get the proliferate train running i think promotion's a good card next on the list bulwark giant five and a white for the three six when it etbs you gain five life this card just is a house really great in that blue white deck main deck and super powerful out of the sideboard against aggressive decks next up is tamio's epiphany three and a blue 
scry four, then draw two at sorcery speed. Boy, howdy, was I wrong about this card, thinking that the format was maybe too fast for this card or that this was too slow for a format where board presence was necessary. I think you and I both have this jumped up to our second best blue common. When I see it resolved, it's a huge grown test. I think it's really important for a lot of the blue decks. I think it's definitely very important for the green multicolor decks. It's just really a powerful way to get ahead on card advantage. Yeah, it says if you're ahead, you win the game. If you're at parity, you're 90% to win the game. And if you're behind but not losing the next turn, you probably have like a 60% chance to come back into the game. Yeah. Shriek Diver is next on the list. Two and a black for the 2-1 flyer. You can pay one mana to give it haste. This card is just a fine three drop in any black deck, I think. The fact that it can come down and get a hit in on an uncommon planeswalker is a big deal. And I've felt fine about including it in my decks. It looks sort of like a C minus D plushes card. And I think it's just a solid C. Interesting. I have not played with that card yet, so I'm going to keep that on my radar. Toll of the Invasion is up next. We talked about this in Sealed, and it is just as good in Draft. This is two and a black for the sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. They discard it, and then you amass one. The amass one tacked onto this is very good. It's just really, really powerful to deploy this on three, get to sculpt your entire game plan with the information of like four or five cards from your opponent. Well, and you can nab all these bombs and planeswalkers Mm -hmm. before they come down, which is the best way to deal with them. Burning Prophet is up next. This is one in a red for the one three. It is insane how much better this card is than Erratic Visionary, which is the one in a blue looter. So Burning Prophet is one in a red for the one three. And whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it gets plus one plus oh until end of turn and you scry one. This is the glue that holds blue red spells together. Also very strong in the red white aggressive deck. Great in red black. Red green kind of eh. I haven't played it in red green yet, but it's just a, a very strong card has moved up the rankings for us and is now our number three red common. Honor of the God Pharaoh is next. This is the tormenting voice with a mass one for two and a red. This card is good. I mean, just a lot of these like spells that are creatures with the help of a mass really synergize well in those blue red decks. Being able to provide just incidental a mass value on this kind of card is quite strong in a red black sacrifice deck where you care about just like nabbing the amass tokens. I just think this card is often going to make your main deck at least as a one of if you are a red deck didn't get any bombs in your draft you have these common six drop finishers at your disposal invading manticore tithe bearer giant cures dam breaker the red black and blue cycle of six drop common creatures i think cures dam breaker is the worst of the three but all all very serviceable as finishers especially if you have a lot of the hyper efficient removal in these color pairs and card advantage a lot of times an invading manticore or a, a tidebreaker giant is all you need to close out the game. Yeah, I just trophied with a blue-black deck that had no rares that had two tidebearer giants at the top of the curve. It's just a big body and getting to tack on draw card is big game. We've already sang the praises of Mana Geode and Gateway Plaza. Do not sleep on these cards. Colorless fixing is very, very valuable in this format. I'm going to let you have this next one. Oh my god. Okay, so my vote for <laughs> number one underrated card in the format right now is Sahili's Silverwing. This is the four mana two three flyer with flavor text of like you look at the top card of your opponent's library, though that is kind of like good. It's just like this tiny little bit of upside, but it's nice when like you're in a top deck war to know that your opponent is just drawing a land next turn and like you're going to be okay for when you untap. I don't understand why people don't like this card. I see it go way too late. I see people saying it's bad in Discord for some reason. This is fantastic. It's colorless. It's a 2-3 flyer. It's evasive. It lets you pressure 
opposing planeswalkers. It lets you protect your own planeswalkers from opposing flyers, as this often just gets to block, you know, an Aven Eternal or whatever. And Trusted Pegasus. It just blanks Trusted oh, Pegasus. blanks Trusted Pegasus, right. Yeah, White's only attempt at being able to do anything in this format. It's just like, nope, not today. The other thing that I think is really important about this that is the reason I'm so high on this card is that green-black, when I was first drafting that color pair, I was finding it really hard to punch through board stalls. And then I realized that I had a green-black card at common that would allow me to do that, and that's Sahili Silver Silverwing. You just get to <laughs> play a flyer at common in a color pair that doesn't have access to it. It's a really good card. Stop sleeping on this. Yeah, and I think the it's also really important that you and I came independently to the conclusion that Sahili Silverwing <laughs> was great in this format. Yeah. And it really, really has been great. It just lines up so well with everything that's going on in the format stat-wise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's worse than what? What's it called? The Thunder Drake, the 2-3 flyer in blue? But it's colorless. Right. You just get to play it in any deck. Last on this list is Contentious Plans. I had the privilege of playing this card for the first time, really, in a deck last night. And this is one in a blue for the sorcery, draw a card, and proliferate. When this card is good, it is insane. The synergy it has in maybe like a blue-green proliferate deck, which was where I had it, really, really, really powerful. And I think, you know, one of the cards that gels that deck together. I also think it has a home in the version of Blue White that's like the five plus Planeswalker deck. It's got a great synergy with Spellgorger Weird because it's just going to put two counters on that immediately because it's going to trigger it and then proliferate onto it. It just does a lot for a little mana and it's going to replace itself. Moving on to uncommon overperformers. First on this list is the Wanderer. This is three and a white for a Planeswalker. It comes with five loyalty, static ability, prevent all non-combat damage to you and other permanents you control. Do not sleep on that static ability. I've seen so many misplays, including my own, against the Wanderer from that static ability. And then minus two to exile target creature with power four greater. We thought this might be a great sideboard card. It's just an A, not an A, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a good main deck card. I would be willing to splash for it if I had good fixing for it. And I think I would happily have two copies, maybe not in the main, but certainly would be willing to bring in the second out of the sideboard, depending on my opponent's deck. Next up on the list is Bond of Insight. This is three and a blue for a sorcery. Very important text here, people. Make sure you understand this. Each player mills the top four cards of their library, and then you can choose up to two instants or sorceries from your graveyard, not from what is milled from those four, and return them from your graveyard to your hand, and then you exile Bond of Insight card is great it really does not take a lot of work for this to be a clean two for one and i think especially shines in blue red spells and blue black amass speaking of not a lot of work for a clean two for one narset one blue blue for the five loyalty planeswalker static ability each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn i got got by that last night just misplayed into it i cast a contentious plans right into my opponent's narset and minus two look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal a non-creature non-land card put it in your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order if you can get some early defense down narset is essentially dig through time in your yeah, deck exactly it's delayed dig through time it's so good we talked about this last week, but I got to talk about it again. Dread Malkin. My God, this card is so good. This has my vote for second most underrated card in the set. Uh, this is the single black for the 1-1 one, one with Menace, and you can pay two and a black to sacrifice a another creature or planeswalker you control to put two plus one plus one counters on Dread Malkin. This card shines in any black deck, and I see it wheel a lot. You don't really need synergy for this to be good. You'll like it in Red Black Sacrifice. You'll like it if you've got a mass tokens and synergies there, but you're going to have creatures. It's really good when you've got a Planeswalker that's ticked down to one loyalty. You can just sacrifice that, or if your opponent has to like go all in on attacking your Planeswalker, then you can just sacrifice it in response to get the counters. And it having Menace and getting huge and having Threat of Activation is all really strong. 
Last on the list of uncommon overperformers, we've got Gleaming Overseer, one blue-black for the 1-4, and when it ETBs, you amass one, and zombie creature tokens you control have Menace and Hexproof. This card is annoying as <laughs> sin to play against. It's not remotely fair. The card is really overpowered. <laughs> it's so powerful because your opponent has to use their first removal spell to kill Gleaming Overseer before they can start to think about killing the giant Hexproof Menace army you've built. Yeah. All right, moving on to... The cards were not so hot on. What are the underperformers? Yeah, first on this list is Vraska's Finisher. This has considerably underperformed. I think there were a lot of people talking about this might be the third best black common. I just don't think it's anywhere near that. It's two and a black for a 3-2. When it ETBs, you can destroy target creature or planeswalker that was dealt damage that turn. It's fine. Like, you'll play it. It does well in red-black, I think. But you really have to be putting pressure on your opponent, and it's pretty easy to see coming and play around, although it does make it awkward for your opponent at times if you do have it in your deck. I think it's a fine card, but it's nowhere near the top black commons. I agree. I think, you know, it plays really well with Lazatep Reaver and other Amass synergies, but I agree. Even, like, every time I, like, play into it, quote-unquote, I don't feel like I get got, really, ever, because a 3-2 isn't the most exciting thing, unless, you know, as you said, there's board presence backed up by it. You've got Obnixilis on this list. I don't know if I agree with you, but this is uh, three black black for a Planeswalker with five loyalty. Whenever your opponent draws a card, they lose a life, and it's minus two is to destroy target creature. Its controller draws two cards. I think it's got some setup required for it, but I'm still pretty happy with this card in uh, in a lot of black decks. I agree. So this is more a nod to that. I, I feel like I don't really want to pick it early because it is only good in such a specific type of deck. Like it asks a lot of you, right? More than we thought. I think you do have to be able to protect it a certain amount. It's really good if you're ahead, but that's not how the games play out often because you don't really want to be aggressive in the format. So it's not like you're jamming Obnixilis at the top of your red-black aggro deck because there isn't really a red-black aggro deck. And so it requires you to, to have the board stable. And I, I found myself wanting to use it much more for killing my own creature drawing two cards. And that's just asking a lot of you to like set up a certain board state to use your own Planeswalker to kill your own stuff to draw two cards. I, it's just felt it's felt very powerful to me when it's worked well but it's felt hard to set up to get it to work well. I mean, I, I feel like the floor is very low on this card, but it is flexible, and I think the ceiling is quite high, and I think it's best in blue, black, or red, black. Would agree. Uh, Erratic Visionary is up next. We talked about this last week. I'm still not crazy about this. This is the one in a blue, one, three. You can pay one in a blue, tap it to draw a card and discard a card. Just stats aren't there. Two mana is quite a bit to dump into it, and I don't much care for it. It's fine. I mean, you'll play a copy in your blue decks, right? But you're, it's not a top blue common. No, but I also like wouldn't. It's not a card where I'm like, oh, I'll always play one copy in my blue decks. Like if I've got better stuff to do, it's sitting on the sidelines. I, I think I would lean towards playing a copy most of the time. See your funeral. <laughs> Next up, we've got Dreadhorde Twins. This is three and a red for the two, two. And when it ETBs, you amass two and zombie creature tokens you control have trample. I do think I was kind of right about this card in the crash course. Most of the time, this has felt like Call the Cavalry. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the exception to this underperformer is if you're in the red-black sacrifice deck. I think that's a deck that actively wants this card. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't really had a chance to play with it there yet. I'm going to talk about two white-black cards here that I don't like very much. The first is Cruel Celebrant. This is white-black for a 1-2. Whenever Cruel Celebrant or another creature or Planeswalker you control dies, target player loses one life and you gain one life. 
This is very, very bad. Do not draft this card, people. My first deck that I drafted in this format that I 0-3'd with had three copies of Cruel Celebrant. I do not believe there is a way to maximize this card. I believe 1-2 is very poor stats in this format, and I don't believe White Black is equipped to back up this like Blood Artist ability with any sort of power. It's the sound of trauma in his voice that you hear there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I'm very scarred. I woke up screaming in the middle of the night thinking about drafting <laughs> White Black again. Uh, the other card that I just thought about uh, when you were talking about the Wanderer is D-Spark. This is White Black uh, for an instant to destroy target permanent with CMC4 or greater. I thought that this was going to be... I had like this and the Wanderer sort of swapped. I was like, oh, this isn't like bring to trial because like everyone's playing four, fives, and six drops. But the four, five, and six drops that people are playing mostly are Planeswalkers. And so you're really not getting value out of this when your opponent goes like Planeswalker down tick. And then you're like, oh, I guess like you got value out of it. And now I'm killing your Planeswalker and I'm still getting two for one. That feels bad. It doesn't hit the like really important things that can get big, like amass tokens, like spell gorge are weird, like small creatures that have been proliferated onto. It felt like a very dead card in my deck a lot of the time. And I would relegate this to the sideboard. Yeah, I think depending on the targets, it's going to be great or it's going to be terrible. And so maybe that means it needs to start in the sideboard. All right, we've got some uncommon Planeswalker rankings here for you. The definitive, maybe not definitive, these could move <laughs> around. It's, it's early. It's early. The, the semi-definitive Lords of Limited uncommon Planeswalker rankings. In number five, we've got Nahiri, two Boros Boros hybrid for the six loyalty Planeswalker. Static ability, when it's your turn, creatures you control have first strike, and you can minus X to deal X damage to target tapped creature and opponent controls. Number four, we've got Kaya. This is three Orzov, Orzov, Orzov hybrid. But if you're listening to this episode correctly, that really just means it's three black, black, black. For a seven loyalty Planeswalker, it's got some static ability about being able to target things with Hexproof as though they didn't have that. And you can minus three to exile target creature. Number three on the list is Angrath. This is two Rakdos, Rakdos hybrid. For a five loyalty Planeswalker, static ability creatures you control have menace and you can minus two to amass two. Number two, Kasmina. This is two blue blue for a five loyalty walker. Spells your opponent's control that target a creature or planeswalker you control. Cost two more to cast. Minus two to make a two two creature token. And then you draw a card and discard a card. Super powerful. And number one, Vraska. This is two Golgari Golgari hybrid for another five loyalty uncommon planeswalker. Static ability. Whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a player or planeswalker, put a plus one plus one counter on that creature. And minus two, create a 1-1 one, one black assassin creature token with death touch. And whenever that creature deals damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. Yeah, I think this is a little controversial. I think you and I are higher on Vraska. But the fact that you feel so confident and I feel so confident makes me feel better about Vraska as number one. I could see it being a holdover from Sealed because I got crushed by Vraska so many times in Sealed. But Vraska just says your opponent can't attack you on the ground anymore. <laughs> I'm very impressed by that card. Honorable mention to several uncommon planeswalkers, Sahili, Narset, the Wanderer. I might even add Dovin to this list. Ooh, I like Kiora a lot too. Uh, I haven't been as high on Kiora, but I, I could see Kiora getting there. I think there's even a Hwatli deck running around. I have gotten crushed by my opponent running a Hwatli high toughness creature deck before. Yeah, I want to draft that blue white high alert deck that exists in war as well. Yeah, and I think apologies need to go out to Ashiok. Yep, Ethan. Yes, uh, Ashiok, if you're listening, I'm very sorry that I called you an F in the crash course. You are much better than that. I second picked you the other day. I have had you in multiple winning decks. I think you are a very good card. And that moves us on to our top 
commons that we're going to re-rank here in white. Number three, Trusted Pegasus, two and a white for the 2-2 flyer that can jump another creature into the air with it when it attacks. This has been bumped down to number three because it really puts you into a deck that you don't want to be in. But if that's really what your seat's supposed to be doing and you get forced into it, Trusted Pegasus is going to be one of the best things you can be doing in that deck. We got number two as Wanderer Strike. This is four and a white for the sorcery to exile target creature and then proliferate. And number one, Law Rune Enforcer, white for the one, two, one tap, tap target creature with converted mana cost two or greater. So this can't hit armies, which is a little bit of a knock against it. But I mean, this by and large taps most things you care about. Moving on to blue, we've got number three, Callous Dismissal, one in a blue for the sorcery, return target non-land, permanent to its owner's hand, amass one. In second place, moving up the ranks, Tamiyo's Epiphany, three in a blue, sorcery, scry four, draw two cards. This card is bonkers. It's one of the cards I want to pick up most when I'm in black, green, blue, white, blue, red, whatever, blue, black. This card's great everywhere. It's really, really powerful. And Avon Eternal holding the top spot, not moving anywhere, two in a blue for a 2-2 with flying and a mass one. In black, sort of our honorable mention slot, Toll of the Invasion. I really wanted to get this into the top three, but it's not quite there, but it is very good. Two in a black, look at your opponent's hand, they discard a card, and a mass one. Lazatep Reaver holding at number three. This is the one, two for one and a black that has a mass one. Number two, Spark Harvest. Single black, alternative casting cost of three black black if you don't want to sacrifice a creature. If you want to cast it for a single black, sacrifice a creature and then destroy target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. And Obnixilus' Cruelty at number one, two and a black instant target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. If it dies, exile it instead. In red, taking over the number three slot, Burning Prophet, one in a red for the one three. When you cast a non-creature spell, it gets plus one, plus oh, and scry one. This is so good in every red deck. Spellgorger Weird number two. I'm gunning for this to take over the number one spot by the end of the format. This is two in a red for a two two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And holding steady in number one, Jaya's Greeting, one in a red, deal three to target creature, scry one. Ben, I have a confession. We didn't get there. On the green <laughs> top <didn't>. comments, I <laughs> said didn't. in the crash course, I wanted to like make sure we knew it. And we have the opposite problem that we've had in the past. We're like before greens commons have been so bad that we had no idea how to rank them. Now greens commons are so good that I don't know how to rank them. Well, and they all go in different decks, right? And shine in different versions of those decks. I agree. So uh, right now we've got our preliminary list, but I definitely think that this has the most room for change as the format progresses. Number four, I wanted to honorable mention new horizons. That's the two in a green enchantment you put it on the land uh, that land can tap for two of any color and you put a plus and plus one counter on a creature when it comes into play and that's interesting to me you you sort of put that in as our honorable mention without centaur nurture which in my brain at least at the moment is a better card than new horizons can you talk to me about that a little bit so it's sort of the same issue that i had with uh, firemind vessel that we were talking about before like i want to set up my mana fixing before turn four if possible like i want to be able to ramp into stuff not be like doing nothing and then playing a 2-4. Also, like if you think about all the fixing that you have at your disposal, Gateway Plaza, Mana Geode, Paradise Druid, that's the the one that's like hexproof when it's untapped, New Horizons, all of that can't really be disrupted by your opponent, whereas Centaur Nurture can. It's like the most fragile of the mana fixing. So I value New Horizons better. It also synergizes with Green's Proliferate stuff as well, which is uh, not nothing. All right. In the number three slot, we've got Bloom Hulk, three and a green for the 4-4 four, four when ETBs proliferate. Surprise, surprise, Pollen Bright Druid ahead of Bloom My Hulk. boy! At number two, you were right about this card, and then I think you strayed from the pack, and you're back. This is one and a green for the 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, you can do one of two things. You can either proliferate or put a plus plus one counter on a creature. 
Yeah, this is just the common you want the most in white green and blue green proliferate. Yeah, and it's one of the best two drops in the set. And number one, we've still got band together, although you're gunning to get that out of there. Two and a green for the instant, two target creatures, team up and punch a creature your opponent controls. Yeah, I mean, this card is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm like happy to have it. There's like a sort of problem with green having a ton of three drops. If you're in a green deck, oftentimes you can splash for just like other removal. So it's not as important. I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel about this card. It's definitely good, but I, I kind of want to gun for Pollen Bright Druid as number one. Yeah, and I think we've got time to do a couple of picks here into a round table. So Ethan, would you like to take a seat at the round table? I would like nothing more. Okay, pack one, pick one. We're going to shortcut because you slam God Eternal Bond to three black black for the five, six menace. When it ETBs, sacrifice any number of other permanents, then draw that many cards and has the eternal clause of when it dies, you can shuffle it back in three deep into your library. So God Eternal Bond to in the pile, moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. Best black card in the pack, Lazatep Reaver, one and a black for the one, two, when it ETBs, amass one. There's also a Thunder Drake running around, three and a blue for the two, three flyer. When you cast your second spell each turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Raging Crunch, two and a red for the four, three, can't attack alone. Getting into the uncommons, there's a Tybalt, two and a red for the five loyalty planeswalker. Opponents can't gain life, and you can minus two to create a one, one red devil creature token with when this dies, deal one damage to any target. And there's a Huatli's Raptor, green, white for the two, three vigilance when it ETBs proliferate. Yeah, I mean, if this were pack one, pick one, I'd be pretty sad. So that's like hard to to follow up the uh, the God Eternal Bantu with. I don't know like what I would take. I guess I would take Tybalt as the best card in the pack, though I think Watley's Raptor is like the meat and potatoes, the glue that holds together the green-white proliferate deck in a, in a sense. But I would like to not end up there if possible. And Lazatep Reaver just seems way too underpowered to take second, even though I'd like to play Bantu if at all possible. I think Tybalt's the pick here. Yeah, I think just staying open and taking the best card out of the pack feels pretty good. Moving on to pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's a Callus Dismissal, one and a blue return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, amass one. Band together, two and a green for the instant, up to two target creatures you control, each deal damage equal to their power to another target creature. And then into the uncommons, there's a Mayhem Devil, one black red for the three three when a player sacks a permanent, Mayhem Devil deals one damage to any target. And Jaya, Venerated Fire Mage, four and a red for the five loyalty walker. If another red source you would you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals that much damage plus one. And you can minus two to have Jaya deal two damage to any target. I really like Jaya, and she plays super well with Tybalt, turning the little uh, Footlight Fiends into two ones, essentially, that are going to like ping for two instead. It's a lot of damage that those uh, those two pack together. So I'd be excited about picking up Jaya here. Yeah, I agree. I think Jaya is the pick. I actually ended up selecting Mayhem Devil, but that was largely due to Twitch chat convincing me that I really wanted to be the red-black sacrifice deck. Looking at this now, I think Jaya is the correct pick here. And one more pick deep here, because I think this one's really important. Pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. There's a Turret Ogre, three and a red for a 4-3 Reach. And when Turret Ogre ETBs, if you control another creature with power four or greater, it deals two damage to each opponent. There's a Sahili Silverwing hanging out, four mana for the 2-3 flyer. When it ETBs, look at the top card of target opponent's library. Kaya's Ghost Form is the only black card in the pack. Single black, that card is terrible. I'm sorry I defended it. Maybe you're going to play it in the red-black sacrifice deck, but not a good card. And then Uncommons, there's a Grateful Apparition hanging out here. One and a white for the 1-1. When it deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker, you proliferate. 
So as unexcited as I am to end up in red-white, Grateful Apparition has a really cool synergy with the two Planeswalkers that we have already. It's tough because like Turret Ogre is totally fine and then you get to just to stay red. It just feels a little early to take Turret Ogre and I still am not quite ready to write off white in the grand sense to pass up on a card that I think is as powerful and as sort of like linchpinny as Grateful Apparition is. Right. And then just sort of the the way the rest of this draft shakes out so that you can see that we're really valuing flexibility. Pick five, really blank pack, no good black or red cards, took a Bloom Hulk. Pick six, again, another really empty pack, took a Sunblade Angel. Pick seven, another really empty pack, no good red or black cards, took the Wanderer. And, you know, looking like we're maybe moving away from got Eternal Bantu and ended up navigating the draft in a way that I ended up circling back around into this really clunky like base green white and then still sort of able to splash Bantu with some sketchy mana we sort of got there uh deck so really <laughs> making sure that it's <laughs> a, so, a so ringing endorsement there wasn't as, it? yeah as we uh you know like to enforce on lords of limited <laughs> here we really want to make sure at the end of the draft you have like a clear way of describing your deck and i think ben did a really <laughs> good example of that just now <laughs> i will have you know that that deck trophy <laughs> oh i know i have access to the spreadsheet yeah and you too could have access to that spreadsheet if you're struggling with this format that is one of our patreon reward tiers having access to a spreadsheet that has all of ethan and my draft logs for every draft we do little couple notes about the draft or the deck and pictures of the deck so if you're struggling that's a good way to you know try to learn from what we're doing and having success with ben do you think we're each gonna get eight more trophies this week i certainly plan to i love this format so much so here's what i hope you as a listener take away from this episode i think this is a really good format and i think it's easy to fall into the trap of well this format's bomby i can't win if i don't have bombs i think you're doing yourself a disservice if that's your mindset about this format and i think learning how to explore the synergies and the powerful commons and uncommons and good draft strategies and how you need to manipulate game states. I think this format's a really good opportunity to learn. And I think it's a different kind of magic than we've played, you know, maybe even outside of Cube. And I think there's a lot of lessons here and a lot of takeaways. And I think it's true that a lot of us in the Lords of Limited Discord are having success because we're doing things the right way. And I think we're going to hopefully teach you guys how to do that as well. Preach. All right. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. If you want to check us out on Twitch and Twitter, I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr.'s spelled out. And we are under the same usernames on Twitter. Come tweet at us. And you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. If you want to see what's trophying, you can check out my latest Card Sphere article where I'm going to explore some of the trophy decks that have appeared in the Lords of Limited Discord to show what folks are having success with. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
First on this list is the Wanderer. This is three and white for a Planeswalker that ETBs with five loyalty. Static ability. Do not forget the static ability. It prevents all non-combat damage to permanence you control other than the Wanderer. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't... Maybe it's other. Why don't you just look it up? That's what I said. Other permanents you control. All non-combat damage to other permanents you control. I just had, just had a moment of doubt, a self-weakness. I think that's right. I'll look it up. <laughs> don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 